For those of you who have lost money, like millions overnight. For those of you who are or have been in personal debt. For those of you who have been at rock bottom, ready to give up. Get ready because it's gonna get a whole lot worse. And that's a great thing. This is Below Zero to Hero, a brain dump by The Fail Coach, helping entrepreneurs develop a healthy relationship with failure. Look, failure can't be feared. It's the number one killer of creativity, ideas, dreams, and even entrepreneurs themselves. And it's thought will never get in your way again. With the right mindset, failure can be step one into a new journey of being a better leader, having better balance, better relationships, and most importantly, success. So bring it on. This is Below Zero to Hero with The Fail Coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Brain Dumb by The Fail Coach. And today we have another interview. I have Eric here with me. And without any further ado, uh, Eric, the floor is yours. Can you please introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, who you are, and what do you do? Thank you very much, Miha. It's a pleasure to be here. Huh, who am I? That big question that's got a million different kinds of answering it. I like how how Simon Sinek talks about how do you find your, your passion and who you are. And he says that if you go back to your childhood and ask yourself, what did you like to do then? It's probably what you like to do now as well. And when I do that exercise, I find myself playing with Legos, building sandcastles, building tree houses, and pretty much everything was about building things. And I can see how that ties very well into my life now that I I still just love building things. Either I'm building on relationships, I'm very passionate about getting into deep, friendly relationships with people, or I'm building myself, or I'm building companies in, in various ways. Uh, so I'm, I'm a builder, that's who I am. Okay, hmm. that takes me back to my childhood. I was always, you know, like my, my parents would buy me these remote cars and things like that. And I was just tearing everything apart, but then I never knew how to put it together. So what, <laughs> does, what does that say about me? Sounds <laughs> like you needed a fail coach. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> it sounds like you were very curious. You wanted to see how, how things worked out and you were not afraid of trying new things. So even if you didn't know how to put it back together, you were willing to, to put yourself out there and willing to fail. And it um, sounds like you are today. I, I guess you could explain it in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like even my mom tells me all the time that I was always just uh, like this uh, asking, why is this? How is this? Like, how is this working? And, and, and all sorts of that. And I think most of the books that they bought for me were encyclopedias anyway. Um, and I was just uh, eating through those books. Uh, but enough about me and my childhood. So, um, <laughs> Eric. Um, one of the topics that we decided to discuss was qualities of an entrepreneur. Uh, how about if, if you give us a little bit an introduction into uh, what are the important qualities of an entrepreneur? I believe that the most essential quality of an entrepreneur is to, to do things. And I think that's what holds a lot of people back from becoming an entrepreneur is if you're hesitant, if you're thinking about that car you, you got as a kid, if you were hesitant, you were curious what's in, in there, but you're never really dared to put it, pick it apart, you're never going to learn. And even though it's maybe not a good idea to pick it apart, you started doing that. And I think that's such an essential quality of being an entrepreneur, of not thinking too much, not worrying too much, but instead just start picking that car apart and, and see what happens and just begin instead of thinking. I think that's the most crucial part of, of entrepreneurship. Okay. And um, how, how do we um, develop that if it's not something, you know, we were, let's say, born with or raised with? Because, you know, some people um, have uh, the, uh, they are lucky to have been uh, br brought up by their parents and, and, and the 
whole society surrounding them in certain ways. So they already have certain mindsets and beliefs and so on that are um, more favorable to being an entrepreneur. But um, I, have you always been like that? Were you always a, a doer, an action taker? Or did you have to learn that? It's a really interesting question. Actually, I haven't thought about it that way. I believe that I was always just like this. And I, I think my brother was like this and I followed in his footsteps. But I like the question of how do you develop this if you're not raised with it? I can imagine a lot of children are being raised not to fail and not to try too many new things and not to put yourself in danger. And then it's going to be really hard to start doing that. My first thought of how to start practicing is to to lower the bar, lower the... If you're afraid of failing, which I believe a lot of people are, then if you can take away the public aspect of it, so you don't need to fail in public and you don't, you can take away the large goals and instead put very small goals to make it easier to succeed and not, if you put a goal that is one year into the future, it's going to take one year to reach it or not reach it. But if you take a goal and it's just one hour into the future, you have a much stronger probability of reaching it than being able to, to celebrate. So I think a good way to start developing these skills is to say, this is what I want to do in the next hour and do it in a way that even if you're failing, you don't really have any negative side effects of people knowing that if that's a main concern. And that's been my main concern in failing as, a, as an aspiring entrepreneur, that what will people say? So minimizing or, or breaking big goals into smaller chunks. And then even if you do fail, it's not in a big way, but you have smaller failures and it's much easier to bounce back from them. And, and just uh, what I love to call fail fast, fail forward. Fail fast, fail forward. I like that. Haven't heard that one before. Yeah, oh, you did yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> By the way, Eric, um, like this just came to me right now uh, yesterday uh, when I was still at that conference that I mentioned to you. Uh, I had uh, to go to a live morning TV show and uh, I was asked this question and I was completely unprepared for, uh, for any question uh, because, you know, I just wing it anyway. Uh, but but uh, the, uh, the person, uh, so the guy who was running the morning show, uh, asked me, uh, so new generations, the millennials and, and you know, like uh, uh, people who are only now in elementary school, high school, and they're growing up and they will enter the real world, the entrepreneurial world and so on, um, are much more protected by parents, by society, by laws, by everything. They live in a way in a much bigger bubble protecting them from the real world. And, you know, when, when we were in school, um, I don't know, but for me, um, somebody had to be the first, somebody had to be the second. And now, you know, they just give you, they give same price to everybody just for participating and so on. And uh, so uh, the host asked me, you know, like, how do we go from that perfect childhood that's in the bubble? And, you know, uh, obviously, you don't even have to fail. You can't really fail if, if you get a diploma, whether you're the first, the second, or the last, um, to then entering into the real-life world. And how do we even start learning um, that it's okay to try things and not succeed, but that it's important to try and that we have to try? Nobody will do that for us. Um, what would your response be to that? That's an interesting question. Yeah, growing up, uh, I did not. I, I I never got a participation prize in my life. I don't think we didn't have that in school. We need to fight for our gold medals. And I was a younger brother, so I always had to fight if I wanted to get anything. Otherwise, my big brother, who was a really sore loser, would take it away from me. Um, but if that's the case, then. Yeah, I think you wake up to a harsh reality when you get into to business life and you realize that no one will hire you because you don't have experience. I think that's that's such a common uh, common thing to to feel that someone who's just new into the business place 
and they get to hear that we want to hire people with experience and then they don't have experience and it's like yeah but how can i get experience if no one wants to hire me because i don't have experience and i think this is a very common struggle and it makes people angry to feel like of course i don't have experience no one will hire me and to wake up from this reality is probably harsh because suddenly it's like yeah but the employer is not a charity they're not going to hire you just because they want to be nice to you because you have no experience if there is another candidate who has experience they will hire that person so i believe an important thing here is to start asking myself or yourself or that perspective how can i start doing something that brings me experience without needing to get that formal job how can i start a side hustle when i'm still in school what can i do with my spare hours when me and em and my childhood friend we started our company together our first business for the first two years we spent maybe five to ten hours a week working with it and just after that time we started doing it full time so i think it's a great way of starting a business is to just do it on a small scale next to school and then suddenly you have experience that no one can take away from you and you didn't have to ask for permission to get it in a sense you didn't have to get the job to get the experience so yeah that's i would start something small either way and i think that if you don't you are going to wake up to the harsh reality of struggling to get hired yeah i mean time will pass anyway now you can at least do something about it and work your way up or um yeah years will pass and you won't be any closer to whatever your dream is um eric um so you are talking about you know you have to be a doer you have to go out there you have to do you have to be ready to to fail as well and and then on the other hand if we look at, you know, I'm on Facebook, on YouTube, and there's just so much of that um, out there where um, there are people, companies offering coaching, mentoring, classes, uh, software solutions, you name it, um, and all trying to portray this perfect world where everything is just a success and they never did anything wrong and, and so on and everything is shining and everybody's just driving a Lambo or a Ferrari and they have these mansions and, uh, um, you know, private planes and all of the shebang. Uh, let's go a little bit into your entrepreneurial journey. So obviously you started really young and can you share a little bit of what the journey was how many companies you went through by, by now and, and all of that. Uh, but also, you know, pick a few successes, but also a few uh, failures or challenges along the way so that, you know, uh, let's say, let's bring a little bit awareness to our audience that life isn't just ups or just downs, but it's a combination of both. Sure, I'm happy to. Okay, so my my entrepreneurial journey started with with my older brother showing the way in various ways. I started collecting soda cans when I was a kid and bringing them back to the store. You got five cents each for a soda can. So we did that all summer and made maybe 100 euros or something in a summer with a 2,000 cans. Uh, and that's like how it all started. I was five, six, seven years old. And I kept doing these kinds of, of small projects through school, selling bread, collecting things, trading things, buying things and selling them, uh, all kinds of small ventures. And the first real business I tried, I was 18 at the time, I think, and I rented a nightclub and I told all wow. my, yeah, I rented this nightclub and we're going to have this big party. So I arranged this DJ. I sent invites to everyone and I was just waiting for everyone to come and have this big party. I told everyone that this is going to be the best night ever. And then this Friday came and I was standing in the door with my, my guest list and 
some of my friends, they, they came early and they walked in, they looked around and they saw that the place was empty. So they, they left. And same thing happened with the people who came after them and the ones after them. And I couldn't get anyone to stay. And just imagine the feeling of renting a nightclub, telling everyone that this is going to be the best party ever, and then seeing your friends walking away from there and not even staying to support you. Eric, excuse me for jumping in, but um, I, I want to hear your what you think about it. Uh, but from my experience, and not just me personally, but but also from all the people that I worked with in, in the past, helping them, most of the time, people who are our friends, sometimes even our family and so on, are most of the time not really supportive to what we are doing. And it's usually only until you receive some outside recognition and and things like that that then they slowly start saying hmm maybe he's onto something um but but at the beginning especially in the early phases of of your entrepreneurial journey it's more likely that you will be supported by strangers than by people closest to you uh, did you had like i mean this was a sort of an experience like that but um are have you seen this uh in other stuff as well I think I, I think you're right. I, I think that it's common to support people who have the same dreams as you do. And if you have entrepreneurs around you, it's common that they would support you. And if you don't, then it's simply other people who don't really understand how this can be important to you. If you're just hanging out with football players and you want to build a company, I don't think that the football players will understand how important the company is to you because the only thing they care about is being really good at football. And I believe that this is to be true with with anything that it's it's very hard for other people to support us if they don't understand what it is that we want to accomplish. Okay, okay. No, I I respect that. Um and uh yeah, maybe we are just expecting too much of them to understand us. Yeah, I think so. just looking back at this party, I don't think that anyone of my friend realized how much it would have meant for me if they just stayed. For them, it was just another Friday night and going to a party. For me, it was putting my name out there, putting my money out there, really wanting to accomplish something. And I got really sad that they left, but I don't think they ever even thought about what that meant. Okay, that that really yeah, they, that that does make sense. They went out and they were just expecting great party, um, having fun, meeting other people, maybe you know hitting on a few ladies and so on. And then when they came to you and like you said, they were a little bit early, uh, so nobody was there yet. And they went in and it was like, oh my god, like uh, I want to I don't know dance, drink, have fun be surrounded by other people and they weren't really thinking about you and, and supporting you. It was just a Friday evening where they want to have fun and, and just use it as best as they can. Yeah. And I, I think that's the way it is in most situations because we it's, it's very easy for ourselves to feel we this is so important for us. Everyone should understand the why this is so important. And at the same time, we probably don't support the people around us in their dreams because they have dreams that we don't understand. Like I would have a very hard time supporting my friend who really wants to be a professional football player because to me that would be nuts because pretty much no one becomes a professional football player. So I think it's just very easy to feel like we're not getting supported, but I don't think that we are, at least I don't think I am that supportive of other people's dreams either. And most of the time we are in a way, obsessed about ourselves and uh, our dreams, our goals. So um, we go through life uh, focused a lot on ourselves. And then, of course, you don't even have the time or the capacity or, or the resources to support, um, I don't know, hundreds of you know people 
that are in your network or or um, and something like that. But okay, um, I, I don't want to I don't want us to stay just on this topic. So yeah, you were like uh, you started explaining this first uh, Friday Friday party. Uh, let, let's move on from there and then go uh, further in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so that that party became such a huge failure, and I was just horrified of going back to to school after that because I felt people would just laugh and point at my failure and my misery, and like he tried to do something and he didn't. And what surprised me then was that no one actually cared. So in the same way that they didn't stay there to support me, they didn't care that I had failed. And my important lesson from that was that people actually don't care if I fail or not. They're just living their own lives. So that became an important lesson in that failure. And I kept on trying all kinds of things after that. I started a business printing on underwear and that failed completely. I started a poker software and that failed completely. And I started a guy, an online website about all the lunch restaurants in my hometown in Sweden that failed completely. Started a web agency that failed completely. So I just kept on trying things, failing, but I didn't really bother failing anymore. Okay, can yeah. I ask you something? So when you say I started this and it failed, I started this second thing and it failed again. Was that like a, a short-term failure? So you started it, you were working at it, I don't know, for a few days, weeks, months, and then it failed and you just moved on? <clears throat> or um, did you, I don't know, like let's say start that printing business for printing on, on, on the uh, underwear and uh, you actually uh, were, you know, first hitting some successes. You grew that to a certain amount, and then it failed. Was it like a a long term failure, or was it like really quickly just going from one to another, one to another? Most of them were pretty short. Couple of weeks, couple of months. Invested time trying to figure out this, trying to do that. For example, the printing business was. We had this idea that we want to do. We managed to borrow uh, all the different um, tools that we needed. We bought some uh, some supplies and the technique that we would, was going for didn't actually work. So we never that never became a company and it didn't become anything really. And then the web agency that we had, we probably had for a year, maybe two. And we got some clients, we got one big client, but we simply couldn't get enough clients to to keep it going. Uh, which And we started tweaking things. And we built a web agency because we were building websites for hairdressers, uh, a local shoe store, these kinds of small companies in my hometown. And when we couldn't get enough clients, we started building websites for ourselves instead. So we built our first guide about online bingo. And this was back in 2008, I think. So I was 20. I was 20. Okay. And that became, well, it failed at first. We, we worked hard with it for three months. Nothing happened. We put it aside and we started doing other things. But then we looked back into this business a year later. So we built websites on affiliate basis. So you made money on, we made money on commission online. And after a year, it turned out that we made a thousand euros that we didn't even know of. And that became the first kind of success. And we started putting more time and more effort uh, into this. And that later on became, it was a two year of a hobby where we worked five to 10 hours a week with it. Uh, After two years in 2010, we started doing it full time and doing the same kind of online marketing on commission basis for all kinds of products. And to just fast forward that story, we took on investors in 2012, grow it a lot and took it to the stock exchange in 2016. After a lot of struggles, a lot of luck, a lot of challenges. Um, But now that company has 400 employees. Um, can, can yeah, I so jump in again? 
Feel free. Why did you need investors for an affiliate uh, business model? Uh, I mean, you know, like I, I can imagine, okay, I'm, you know, uh, producing some sort of software solution and I need 20 programmers, I need to give them paycheck, or I'm uh, coming up with a new product, I need to manufacture it and, and patent it and so on. But for an affiliate business, um, how come you decided to get investors on board? Yeah, so let's head back to 2012. Our business is actually doing really, really well right now. It's just me and and Emil, my my business partner, and we got a run rate of a profit of maybe forty thousand euros a month. Uh, so we definitely don't need investor money. At the same time, we want to build a real company. We want to have a lot of employees. We want to do something really large, and we have no idea how to do that. None of us have ever had employees. None of us have had any real structures or budgets or anything. And I get in contact with this man named Andre. And he had just sold his company for 60, 70 million euros, something like that. And I knew people who had been working for that that company. It was called Betsafe. And they spoke about that company like it was their favorite football team. They were so passionate about that company. They wore their clothes. They just hung out with people from that company. They loved going to work. And I was just so fascinated when I heard these people talk about their their jobs. And then when I got in contact with this guy, Andre, I just really wanted to learn from him, how do you build a company with people that have that passion for it? What what have you done? And him and his two business partners uh, were just starting up an investment company. They actually haven't made any investments before. They just wanted to start investing this money that they made from the company. And we became their first investment. So we didn't need their money at all. It was not at all about money, but I really wanted them as mentors and people that could teach me and learn from and build something. And they added a lot of value as mentors and they added a really big part that they added was that I suddenly had someone to look up to and someone to be accountable for. So I remember they asked me, okay, Eric, you make a lot of money but you don't have a finance person doing this. So you are sitting paying all the invoices, you are sitting and doing all the accounting, you are doing all of these things by yourself. Why? And the honest answer was, because I have no idea how to hire someone. I'm a bit scared to try and hire someone and I'm a bit lazy to try. And when you don't want to give that honest answer to someone you look up to, you say, ah, good point, I'll hire someone as soon as possible. And then I did. So I didn't need money, just as you say, we didn't need it for an affiliate business, but we needed role models and we needed father figures in a sense, someone that could that we could look up to and get a, a different kind of drive from. Okay, okay, that's that's uh, very understandable. Um, bef- like, okay, let's let's. Uh, you mentioned you know you needed a role model, a mentor. Um, what would what advice would you give other than you know a go find a VC without you needing money and uh, offer them to enter your company? But uh, c- can you offer maybe some other ideas, other advices to our uh, audience on how they can approach uh, mentors or how to be mentored, how to get the mentor? Yes, I'd love to. Yeah, so. The first thing that I think is important to know is what to look for. I believe that it's common to shoot for the stars and feel like, yes, I want Gary Vaynerchuk to be my mentor. He seems to know that much. And obviously he's never going to be the mentor of a random person. But instead trying to find someone who is maybe two years ahead of the same journey as you are. So if if you want to build a big podcast, for example, with Fail Coach, the perfect mentor 
would be Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, but you're not going to get them as mentors. So maybe have someone who has built the podcast up to 20,000 listeners or 50,000 listeners or done 200 episodes of something or whatever it is, someone who is ahead of you, but not too far ahead of you. I think that's the first thing, knowing what to look for. And the second uh, step in this is do not ask them to be your mentor, which might be ironic, but it's so... I get requests to be people's mentors every time. And I am the mentor of probably 10, 20 people in different situations, and none of them have asked me to be their mentor. And everyone who asks me, I say no to. Because it's it's a big commitment to become someone's mentor. And especially when someone writes an email, a complete stranger asks, hey, Eric, can you please be my mentor? I'm like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to commit to that? Why do I want to give away that much time to a complete stranger who haven't shown any value to me? So I think just being knowing that if you ask, you can get a no. And instead start with, how can I add value to this person's life? So if I'm looking at these 10, 20 people that I am mentoring, none of them have asked. Instead, they have started by reaching out to me and giving me value in various ways. And that can be so simple things as just giving me gratitude. Like, hey, Eric, I listened to this podcast that you did. This and this advice that you said have really helped me in my life. And I've now done this and that changes and it's all thanks to you. And I'm sure you've gotten emails like that and you've gotten that fantastic feeling of meaning in your work thanks to that. And that's a gift that someone gives you and they add value to your life, yeah, right? Absolutely. And then, I mean, at least for me, I naturally read or say like, oh, thank that. That's super nice. I would love to hear more about it. Let's jump on a quick call. Exactly. And then if this person had just shown you gratitude, they didn't ask you to be your mentor, they didn't ask for anything. And maybe maybe they write back and forth a couple of messages and then they ask you a question. It's like, uh, hey, Micha, I'm wondering, should I try to get investors early on or should I start without taking on money? What do you think? Then it's probably quite likely that you would answer that question Absolutely. and help out. Because you... You're passionate about that. And then this person might ask you, I'm, I'm very happy for your advice. Is there something I could do to, to help you? And then maybe you say that, yeah, well, right now I just need someone who uh, helps me edit this podcast or shares this thing on Facebook and whatever it is. And they can then keep giving you value and they can keep asking you questions and you will enjoy answering those questions. But if they were to say, can you be my mentor? You would likely say no because you don't know what that means. Does it mean that I have to have a weekly call with this person for an hour every week? Or does it mean that I have to meet this person? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? But you're most likely always willing to answer one question. And then you can ask another question and another question. So you're kind of finding your mentors without them even being aware of becoming your mentors. They just become single interaction guidings. And for every time you can give them value, give them appreciation, help them with that podcast, share that thing on Facebook, do whatever it is. And that way you're actually building a relationship that's built on adding value to each other's lives. And it's a much better way of getting a mentor than just trying to get someone to give a lot of things for you and uh, commit to continuously giving guidance without ever getting I value back. I absolutely agree with you. I never looked at it in this way, but now that you walked me through the whole thing, yeah, it totally makes sense because every relationship, if, if you want the relationship to be successful, uh, both parties need to get the feeling that they are getting from the relationship as much as they are giving to that relationship. Otherwise, if there is a big disbalance, somebody just constantly asking something from you, you constantly giving, um, you just blow up. And even 
when I say giving on from their side, it doesn't have to mean that they do something for me, but at least you give them a small advice and they take it and they do something about it. And then they come back and say, I did this, I did that. And then suddenly you are more inclined to invest more into somebody who is a doer because there's just so many people out there who would just want to chat, but then they don't do anything about it. And then you're like, well, why am I wasting my time if you don't take my advice and do something with it? Yeah, I think that's so spot on what you're saying right now. And that would be the the next step in this, that every time you get advice from this mentor or not mentor, depending on how you want to look at it, make sure to do that advice, at least try it. Maybe it doesn't work, but at least try it and come back to this person saying that you did it. Because just what you said right now, then that pe- person know that you listen, that people person will feel that you value their guidance and their advice and that you're willing to make an effort. And that's such a compliment to get. If I do, so I, I asked a, a guy to read two books, uh, a Swedish guy named Gustav, like 19 years old, reached out to me uh, two weeks ago. And I told him like, Start by reading these two books. And if you do that, we can have a coffee or something someday. And in less than one week, he read both these books and came back to me with a long list of things that he took with him from those books. And I was shocked. No one has ever read two books that I've asked him to read in less than a week before. And just the fact that he had listened, done the work, maybe read, I don't know, twenty, spent 20 hours reading probably, and coming back to me with what he's learned made me feel so appreciated and so valued. And I, was, I really want to help you. And that's just absolutely, a great way of doing absolutely. it. Absolutely. I so understand. Like, you really opened my eyes here. Uh, because I really never, never looked at it this way. But yeah, that's exactly... If, if you look at then the inner the in, inner fight, whether, you know, oh, this person is asking me, but I don't know what they're asking. And then I give them a simple advice and they don't do this and and yeah like it it so makes sense and and now that you like that you mentioned this whole thing um this kind of like you know when you are the mentor uh kind of puts you in that leadership position you are seen as a leader um how how do you become a better leader So I think that the most important skill of a leader, and this is something that I've really been lacking in the past, is listening and empathy. And what I mean with that is that it's so important to really listen to understand. Something that I've done all of my life is that I've been listening to reply. I've just been listening enough so I can say a smart thing back. I haven't really been listening to really take in the message of someone else and really understand what it is that they're trying to communicate. And I believe that a great leader is someone who really listens and takes in whatever is being said to understand what it is that the other person wants or needs. So start by really listening to do that. And the other side of that is is empathy. Then putting myself in in the other person's shoes, that it's it's very easy for me to think, once again, if we take the entrepreneur analogy of and not getting supported, it's very easy to think, of course, they should understand how important this is to me. I'm so passionate about this. But maybe they will only care about football and I don't care about football. So I'm not really understanding their perspective in this at all. I'm just thinking it's stupid to kick a ball. Why would anyone want to do that? You really don't like football. <laughs> as a leader... I I don't care shit about football. Uh, But people do. Billions of people do. So if I can, instead of trying to understand, okay, so if I put myself in his football shoes and I think that all I care about is football and I'm really passionate about football, of course I don't understand that he likes to print on underwear then. That makes no sense. And same thing then as a leader, putting myself in the shoes of an employee or a young person who wants a mentor, whatever I can do here to really understand what is their perspectives, listen to understand them, and even imagining what are their worries, what are their concerns, 
because a lot of the time I don't have the same concerns. So I have a really hard time understanding why they are stressed or what's going on. But if I instead put myself in their shoes, that How really do you changes. Draw the line, you know, like because you can just go out there and wander the world and really just understand everything and everybody. But how do you not forget about yourself? How don't you, you know, get into that over empathetic uh, position where you understand everybody, but then you are, they don't return back to you? I don't know how to explain it, but you know, like, where, where's that, where's that line? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I understand. Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. Basically, you're concerned of how can I make sure I'm not giving too much and yeah, forgetting and just, about you know, myself. Blowing up all your energy and burning out uh, in, in the process uh, by being too empathetic. Yeah, so something that I'm constantly doing now and that I'm practicing to get better at is saying no when I feel that I want to say no. And... A simple example, which can be very hard, is um, so I got a, an, an invitation to a friend's dinner party for his birthday uh, last week, and I felt that I this would be pretty fun. I like this guy; he's a good guy, and at the same time, I would rather stay home and rest because I wanted to be up early the next day. And the easy way out here is to say no, I can't, I have to work uh, or lie and say I'm sick. But I want to be honest and tell him how I'm really feeling and saying, no, sorry, I don't want to go to this because I want to be early tomorrow morning. And I prefer to just have a coffee with you daytime instead of being in a loud environment with drunk people having dinner. Can we do have a coffee on Friday instead? And just feeling into what do I want here and actually saying no makes it so much easier to take care of me. And two years ago, I would just have said yes to that dinner because it would be so painful to say no, or I would have lied and say, I absolutely have to do this. But in reality, I just wanted to be rested. It wasn't important, really. I just preferred that. And to feel into what do I want to do in this situation? and express that and really trust that gut feeling that tells me I actually I'm not excited about going to this dinner okay um, you mentioned also listening to to um, really listen and not to just respond back um, and you mentioned that you were uh, not good at this uh, for uh, most of your life H how do we learn that skill or how do we practice that skill how, how did you went from i listen to respond to i listen to understand yeah i have prepared to do 18 videos on instagram about this topic i just haven't gotten started but it's a big topic <laughs> i think a, a key a simple trick for this uh, that I've been applying with my my fiance the last year or so is I don't start talking if she's talking I don't start talking unless we have eye contact afterwards that before if if someone is looking out in the air and they might be quiet but they are not looking straight at you, it's very likely that they're still in a thought process. They're still mid-sentence in their head, especially my fiance, because she could take very long breaks and just sit there and wait. And that gives me space to like digest what it is that she has been saying. And it gives her space to make sure that he, she has come to an end of her sentence. Because pretty much always when we are expecting someone else to start talking, we give them eye contact. And if we're looking out somewhere, we're not really ready to receive that message. So that's just a small trick that I've been applying that I more or less never start talking unless someone is quiet and giving me eye contact. Instead, I just sit and listen and I want to take that in. And I'm trying not to make up answers in my head until they have stopped talking. So for example, in a podcast here, 
it would be very common for me to you start telling a story and I start thinking about what I should answer long before you're done with your story. And then I'm so busy thinking about my reply that I might miss your second half of the story. But now I'm trying to really stay quiet, try to just listen and be okay with the fact that I might not have the smartest thing to say back after that time because I've been listening instead of spending the time when you are talking to come up with something really smart. Okay, that's that's a... An interesting take, an interesting strategy, and I can see how it can really work. I, I really can. And I agree with you that uh, this is a big problem, not just for the leaders, but in, in, in like our society, because most people are really just listening to respond back, and there is so little space for, um, for that safety in communication where you can say what you want, and you are not being judged, and it's it's the battle of egos in responding and all of that. But you really feel that the other person is listening to you to understand you. And and I feel I I I, I talk about this quite often as well. That's why I loved when you mentioned it. Um, and I feel that that's like the number one thing for being uh, good. Uh, or having good communication skills is to learn how to listen to understand. Yeah, I think if there is one advice I could give to 18-year-old me, it would be to, okay, Eric, understand what it means to listen and learn how to listen. And I think that everything in life will become easier. I absolutely agree with you. Um, Eric, I know that your time is a little bit limited and I still have a few questions. So, um, I, well, not too many, but uh, we covered a lot of, let's call this more the business topics, things that could be valuable to entrepreneurs. But, you know, we connect with people. So would you mind sharing a little bit about Eric with us? Eric, the, the person behind the, Eric, the businessman. <laughs> I think Eric, the businessman, and Eric, the person, are very closely tied together. I want to build companies and I want to be in business in the exact same way as I am outside of business. I'm I'm a very passionate person. I listen a lot to my feelings and what I want to do, and I act on that. I love dancing. I love being creative. I love people. And I also love to see then how can that actually apply in business? I don't do anything in business if I don't enjoy it. If there is something about business that I don't enjoy, I rather, I either not do it or I ask myself, how can I come up with a more fun way of doing this, even if it might be less efficient, but at least it's more fun. So I'm constantly looking for fun and joy in in everything that I do. And it doesn't matter if that's business or Well, I do have life. to ask you, you mentioned dancing. What kind of dancing do you love? Pretty much all kinds. <laughs> I started dancing salsa, which is a dance that pretty much everyone have heard of. And from that, I've been dancing a lot of other couples dancing, bachata, kizumba, and zouk, which are dances that most people have not heard of. But it's okay. kind okay. of like salsa. I'm a huge salsa fan as well. Uh, but I but I prefer oh, the wow. reggaeton uh, uh, than the slow the slower dances. So I, I like when it's bachata time. Uh, I just go for it. I can grab a beer uh, while while they uh, then the, while they walk on on the dance floor, and then I go back for for the salsas and the reggaetons. Uh, I don't know, kind of lo- love uh, a bit more higher beats than 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 the slower beats and kizomba and zouk i don't know um an argentinian tango i i never really enjoyed that part too much but salsa wow i love salsa <laughs> yeah i love them all cool, in, in cool. various ways <laughs> i love i love the connection that is in the slower dances i love the intimacy and like the small movements and I love the speed of salsa. So I'm I'm just a passionate dancer in Amazing. all kinds now, of ways. I mean, you already now gained like hundred points on a scale from zero to hundred. 
with 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 the dancing. I love <laughs> dancing, and I, I every opportunity I can uh, take to go dancing, uh, you'll see me on the dance floor. Um, Eric, uh, before I let you go, um, I want to ask you one last question. So, what would be the last golden nugget of wisdom that you want to share with the audience? It can either be related to what we talked about or unrelated to that. Whatever you feel is that last thing you want to leave the audience with. Last thing. Give me a second and I feel into what come up because I haven't been thinking about it since I've been listening. Sure, take your time. I think that even if it sounds like a cliche, I would say, listen to your emotions and make space for your emotions. And if you're not feeling them, and I didn't feel them that much back in the days, ask yourself why you're not feeling them and see what do they want. Because I believe that the source to all joy comes from within and comes within your emotions. If you find out what you're good at, it will come from your emotions. If you find out which people you want to be working with or want to have around you, your emotions will tell you. And it's hard to listen to them, but if we make space to listen to them, it's a game changer. So that's that's the final words I like to leave people with. Okay. Feel your emotions. I can understand uh, what you're trying to say. Um, and uh, yeah. I do agree that uh, certain things in life, you, you need to trust your heart. And when it comes to especially relationships and, and things like that, uh, your heart sh probably is more important than the logical part. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think it goes for everywhere in business as well. It's just you need the logical aspects of things, but the emotions are so perfect. key. Um, Eric, thank you for being my guest um, and uh, thank just you for thank you me. for sharing all this all this with with us and a little bit about your journey and all of that. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, so uh, I really appreciate you for coming on the show for uh, sharing uh, all of that with us. And I just wish you uh, best of luck on your on your journey. And I hope we'll have uh, a chance to speak again in the near future. Take care. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Misha. And if people want to hear more about how to get a mentor, we have a podcast on our own called Becoming Great. And episode 39 is actually the 10 steps of finding your mentor and digging into similar thing that we touched upon now, but in, in more detail and more step-by-step. Uh, so feel free to come Perfect. and listen to that one as well sure that we include those links uh, in the show notes as well so that uh, our audience can just Sounds click good. away and visit your podcast and learn even more from you and go more in depth with that knowledge again thank you and Sounds take good. care thank you cheers <laughs>